The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. All right, um, Romans chapter 3, and we'll spend some time this morning uh, briefly. I'm glad to see there's a lot of family visiting, and as I say, good morning to our guests who are also visiting, taking a break, and so forth. So we don't want to spend too much time, but we do want to spend time in what is most important, and that is the gospel truth of what Christ has done for us. So I've titled this message, The Gospel of Death's Death. The Gospel of Death's Death. Gospel means good news. Means good news. And so, as we reflect on death, as we reflect on the death of Jesus, the death that sinners die spiritually, more importantly, the death of death. The book of Romans gives us this theme. In fact, I want to give us some context. Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20 paints a picture concerning the world that stands under the wrath of God. Why? Because it's a sinful people. Sinners cannot stand before a holy God. Are you with me? Sinners cannot stand before a holy God. It's impossible. Sinners redeemed by Christ, however, not only stand before God, but will rejoice and will worship before this holy God. So, coming back to the context, Paul shows us that as a sinful people, we stand under God's wrath. Even God's people that He chose, the Jews, the nation of Israel, that's Romans chapter 2, they who think they were righteous, they who thought they were holy, Paul shows them, no, 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 the law condemns you. And if the law condemns you, you stand condemned before God. Now, any effort on the Jew side or on our side to kind of live righteously is to try and let's just for example say there's a pool of quicksand and your one leg is stuck in this quicksand and you're trying to get out by putting your other leg in the quicksand what's busy happening scientifically when you the more you move the more you resist the sand you go down quicker. So, in our own effort, in an attempt to be righteous before God by our own works and our own deeds, we are sinking. We are doing nothing but sink away. So, Paul brings this idea both to the Gentiles and the Jews to say that you are helpless and hopeless as you stand under the judgment of God. But there's hope. That's what's called the gospel. There is good news. And this hope comes in a word, justification. Now, if you're a criminal, and you go to court, and you hear the word justification, man, I tell you, you're jumping for joy. Because justification means to be declared right. 
innocent. It is to say that although you deserve punishment, your name has been cleared. There is no account against you. That's the hope. That's what Paul brings to these people. This justification comes as a gift of grace. It's a grace, grace gift through Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus does on the cross. Through Him giving His life. And through Him being resurrected. So, instead of getting what we deserve, we get to experience the heart of the good news. Again, as I said when we started the service, we look at Good Friday and we go, man, if it wasn't for that day, if it wasn't for that day, what a glorious day. It's not so glorious when you look at the piece of wood our Savior is nailed to and it's covered in blood. Covered in blood. All of a sudden, it doesn't look so glorious. When we read Leviticus, by the way, how is your Bible reading plan going? It's April. You should have read Leviticus by now. I'm following up. When we read Leviticus and we, and we see the instructions given for sacrifices, it is gross. It's bloody. It's gorgy. Yet, people rejoiced. Because that was justification. That was the hope that when I make this sacrifice, my sins are being forgiven. So when we look at the cross and we see the Lamb of God being nailed, being sacrificed, then yes, as terrible as it seems, as horrible as the image, it is beautiful. Because that has opened the door to justification. I want us to look at this morning the bad news and the good news of death, but also the satisfaction through death, just as we reflect upon Jesus. I want to read for us Romans 3:21. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. <clears throat> the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lord, we pray that this message, this gospel of good news, would once again revive us to live a life that reflects Your obedience and Your character. And I pray for anyone in this room that has not experienced the gospel, that is longing to experience fulfillment in life. May you this morning pierce their hearts. We ask it in your name. Friends, 
Firstly, the bad news of death. Look at verse 23. The bad news of death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think this is why people struggle to realize they need salvation. They need Jesus. And I'll show you how. Just look around in the room. Why isn't the walls of this building bursting? As the seats are just filled with people. Because we think we don't need good news in the form of a person dying for us. We think we have enough. And we're kind of just content with that. The bad news is summarized in one word, death. The point I want to make is, we don't realize that we need to be saved from death until we are told how terrible we are. Listen, the message of the world, the gospel of the world is this. Do you, do you, right? You do you. You love yourself. Spoil yourself. You take care of yourself. You do you. Love yourself. The gospel tells us to take up your cross and love someone else. Because this someone else has loved you first. And what this someone else has done for you is save you because you in loving yourself are literally rolling in a pit of manure thinking I am okay. I am clean. I am righteous. I'm a good person. God knows my heart. You know what I'm going to say, right? That should scare you. God knows your heart and that's how you act. It should scare you because all have sinned Meaning everyone. David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. So in the womb, I'm a sinner. This is what he says. All have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of, the, of, of God. Now listen, the Jews knew this. And so the Jews adjusted the law. They said, well... We can't live according to the standard. So let's make a new standard the ordinary person cannot live up to. And if you can do these things, then you are right with God. That's called legalism. It's not the gospel. This is why we have bad news. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. God warns Adam. The Lord commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will what? Die. You will surely die. What happened to Adam and Eve when they ate? The serpent said, you won't really die. They did. They died spiritually that day. They ran away from the very God who met with them on, we assume, a daily basis in fellowship. They die a spiritual death by breaking this relationship with God. God confronts Adam about what he does. Genesis 3.12 His answer amounts to saying, it's the woman's fault. You dumped her here. Wait, whose fault is it now? Is it her fault or God's fault? Do you follow it's the women 
you put here. Oh, wow. Listen, this spiritual death doesn't just end between Adam and Eve. When they give birth to children, what does Paul tell us? It is passed on to them. So surely something has gone wrong spiritually. A spiritual death has taken place where humanity now is separated from the very God who created us. This connectivity, this fellowship has been broken. Now, there's a second form of death that happened to Adam and Eve after eating the the forbidden fruit. They died physically, eventually. But they died physically. Now the reality of this physical death is emphasized throughout human history. People die. People die. People are dying today, sadly. And it's, it's my prayer. It's our prayer as a church that as you travel, the Lord guards you. But my dear friends, as people are traveling these roads, lives are being lost. Lives are being lost in various forms. People are dying physically. Every day, every hour, every minute, every second, someone is breathing their last breath. That is the bad news of death. Death is sure. You cannot outrun it. You cannot escape it. There is no cure for death. Scientists tell us that once we are born, we are already dying. The seed of decay and death is already in us at the moment of conception. Friends, there's a third form of death that takes place. And it's an eternal death. So we have a spiritual death, a physical death, and an eternal death. Romans, uh, Revelation 21 verse 8 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, this is eternal death it is when God sends the sinner to the place of utter darkness there is weeping and gnashing of teeth it's a place of fire and torment it's where the worm does not die it is where the righteous God eternally punishes sinners do you get that? That's the bad news of death. It's one word, death. When we talk about death, death in the family, death that occurs, it describes human misery. Like, why is this happening? It's funny, you know, we kind of talk about it. I don't mean funny to laugh at, but, you know, we experience a colleague or a friend or a relative that passed away, and not long after that, someone else passes away, and not long after that, someone passes away, and we go, what is happening? Why are everyone I know just suddenly dying? No, friends, someone is dying every second. Death is so sure. It is so certain. 
Listen, we experienced a pandemic that just once again reflected that. Death is sure. Whether it comes through a new virus, comes through an ancient virus, comes through a truck, comes through a bullet, comes by age, death is coming. Death is coming towards us. That is the greatest tragedy. Now for you living in Mokopani, it's a greater tragedy than when load shedding takes place and our electricity only comes back an hour after load shedding. It is a greater tragedy than the poor health facilities we may have. The terrible roads which cause death. Death itself is our greatest tragedy. Now, it brings us to verse 24, which is obviously the good news. We tend to always say, do you want the good news or the bad news? Which one do you want first? Some would say, I want the good news first. I want the bad news. So I can rejoice in the good news. Right? Verse 24. To continue for context, this is what Paul says about us. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received from or by faith. We'll get to propitiation. It's a word you should know by now. First John, we've seen it. We've spoken about it when we did the doctrines of grace. But the good news is that we take the world that, what is it? We live in the world where death is coming for us. Where the certainties of life ending is sure. But in this world, the same God is pursuing us through His Son. Jesus Christ is the answer to death's tragedy. Death has died in the death of Christ. Are you with me? Death has died in the death of Christ. Now, what does Paul say here? There's a key word. We are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption. Through redemption. Listen, we like to argue about free will. I have free will. I can choose what I want to do. No, no. You serve one of two masters. You're a servant. You're a slave. The first master that we serve is sin. And the hold that sin has over us. He said, but I have free will. I can choose what I want to do. You will choose sin because it's your master. You will want to serve sin because you love it. You adore it. You worship it. Now there's a second master by the grace of Christ we get to serve. And that's Him. We get to serve Christ by His righteousness given to us when we're saved. Now we start to serve Him in righteousness so we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves of righteousness. So all of a sudden, what do I want to do? I want to do that which is good and holy and right. That's Romans 7. Paul says, I want to do these things. But because I'm still 
attached to the sinful flesh, I don't do them. I do the opposite. So friends, that is the human condition. We, we have a debt that we cannot pay. Even when you go to stand before God and give your life, which is the payment for sin, you have to die in order to pay sin. Are you made right with Him? Are you made right with God when you give your life to Him? When you die before Him as a payment for your sin? No. Because you cannot resurrect yourself. Can you? There's no way that you can conquer death. So you can't go stand before God and say, Listen, I don't need your son. I will pay with my life. Uh, you're right. You will pay with your life. Or you can pay with my son's life. And if you pay with my son's life, you get to stand before me in righteousness. That's the good news. That's the redemption. Redeem means to buy back. It means we are bought back from the master of sin. It suggests that there has been a loss due to a liability. Now we are held in bondage to sin. And because we're held in this bondage to sin, we are held to death until this payment is made on our behalf. We can't pay it. Listen, imagine the greatest debt and having no income. The creditors are coming for you. They're coming. Now we have this debt apart from Christ. We have a debt we cannot pay. Yet we know someone that can pay it on our behalf. Paul says that Jesus Christ has made this payment. Jesus Christ has given His life. So when we think of Jesus coming into this world to redeem us from death, we need to see this work of redemption. We need to see this effort to buy us back under three categories. Number one, we are bought back through suffering. We are bought back through suffering. Jesus knew suffering throughout His whole life. Jesus didn't arrive at the age of 30 and God miraculously told the son, listen, you're 30 years old now. You're going to go, you're going to do a ministry and in three years you're going to die. Oh, what? Three years now? And I don't mean that to be disrespectful in any way. The son knew that he would suffer. Imagine living your whole life knowing what you are going to die for, how you are going to die, and when you're going to die. And it lingers over In Gethsemane, Jesus fell to His knees, and He pleads with the Father because He knows He's going to drink the cup of God's wrath. He's going to take in God's anger. He's going to take it about upon himself. His soul is about to undergo immense and intense suffering. So when we read the pages, we see that Jesus prayed until his sweat become, became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And so the Father sends an angel 
to strengthen him for this last mile. He's finally captured. He's taken through a mock trial. And ultimately, he's then crucified. Jesus, his effort to buy us back is through suffering. Secondly, his effort to buy us back is to literally take our place. Substitution. Substitution. He takes our place. He removes us from the game and plays on our behalf. See, on the cross, Jesus doesn't just suffer physically. On the cross, Jesus experiences the wrath of God that we were meant to experience because of our sin. So when Jesus cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's answer would have been, It's because you are standing in the place of those whom I have given to you. You must make full payment for their sin. Wow, that is so weighty. Paul explains to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution. We deserve to die. We messed up. <clears throat> but God... This God of justice brings His sword upon the Son. Because the Son willingly intervened. He willingly took our place. The sword came upon Him. And that's the only way I believe you can explain Calvary. Friends, there's a third heading under which Christ purchases our redemption <clears throat> and that is satisfaction satisfaction Jesus rises from the dead this this act is to show that God was satisfied with the payment that was made for our sin this is where the word propitiation comes into play Paul writes that Jesus is the one whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The Jews knew this language. They were familiar. The word points to mercy, or the mercy seat in the temple. This is where the high priest would go in the, in the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement. Um, Yom Kippur. It's the day where the, the Jews would celebrate that they've made an offering. They have made a sacrifice for their sins for that year. Jesus is now that lamb. And although Jesus doesn't go to the temple, Jesus becomes the perfect and final, listen to that word, final sacrifice. The evidence that He is the perfect final sacrifice was in the temple. The veil was torn. Not by man's hands. By the way, man could never tear that curtain. That curtain was so thick and strong and woven uniquely 
that no one could tear it. Plus, here's the evidence to that. If man were to tear it, man would tear it from the bottom up. There's just no way you could reach. Scripture tells us this curtain was torn from the top through to the bottom. Not by human hands. That happened to show the people, you don't need this space anymore. You don't need the mercy seat anymore. You don't need to bring lambs into the space anymore. You don't need to shed blood anymore. It has been shed. It has been done. It has been taken care of. So here's the message. We deserved to die. But our holy and just God has given us mercy by providing someone to take our place, to die our death. Man, praise the Lord that this, this justice has been satisfied. Listen, don't get me wrong. It's not that, oh, God hates sinners because of sin. God is just and must punish sin. Sin must be punished. You break the law. We catch you breaking the law. You must be punished. And what simply happens is the judge says, I do not see the fault because someone else paid the fine. Someone else made the sacrifice. You're free to go. Praise the Lord for the Son, Jesus Christ. So that as we look at the cross, as we see this, as we read in Isaiah, this distorted, almost deformed Son of God, I mean, it must have looked at someone that has been attacked by a beast. We look to the cross and we go, that should have been me. That should have been me, 100%. I disobey God. I pursue my sin. I serve the master of sin. I ignore the holy and righteousness of God. That should be me. Therefore, when we hear Jesus cry, it is finished. Why don't we jump up and shout, Hallelujah! It is done. It is finished. No more. No more. Our sins have been paid for by another. Our death has died in the second person of the Trinity. In God's own Son, He offered Himself as the sacrifice. But woe, my dear friends, we act and walk around and talk as if Jesus never came in the first place. I'm so wretched. Jesus saves you, man. So that you can take that burden and cast it on Him. You who sit here this morning, tired, labored, Christ has made a way to not only experience the mercy seat, but to stand in front of a throne of grace. My friends, Point number three is this. There is now satisfaction through death 
Look at verse 25. I'll wrap it up. This takes place. Jesus dies. All these things take place to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that when He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Coming back to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. On this day, the proof, the proof that God accepted the sacrifice was that the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies. I don't know if you read the Old Testament much. I think we need to spend a lot more time in there than what we do actually. In fact, in all of Scripture. But the high priest wore a certain attire. The high priest had a rope around his waist. He had uh, bowels attached to his ankles and wrists because no one else could go in there with him. No one else could peek behind the curtain to say, hey, are you okay? Are you alive? No, no, you had to listen for the high priest. Is he moving? What is he busy with? I think that's why the qualification was so high. As the high priest, you can't go in there and daydream. They'll think you're dead and pull you out. You have to be busy with the ordination of taking place on the sacrifices. So, nonetheless, the point is this. He would listen as he moves, as the sacrifice is being made, as these things take place. And if you stop hearing his movement, of course they would wait to see nothing happens and they pull out this person dead then the atonement wasn't made the sins of the people remained on them for another year but lo if the high priest came through that curtain yes let us feast bring the food bring the drink let us celebrate God has accepted the sacrifice our sins have been forgiven Right? It was a big deal. It made a big feast out of it. So that was to prove God accepted the sacrifice. Now with respect to the saving work of Christ, there are two phases that prove God accepted His sacrifice. Number one is the resurrection. Listen, the resurrection is an historic fact. We base our timeline on Christ's existence. I talk to people all the time. Oh no, I believe this religion. I don't believe Christianity. I think Christianity is fic fiction. What, what, what? Then why in the world would we calendar after Jesus? Why would we change the whole frame of looking at time? Because that is how historic it is. Nonetheless, Jesus often spoke about his, his death and resurrection. Because the two goes together. After his resurrection, Jesus tells the disciples, Luke 24, 46, that the Christ, um, apologies, I have it wrong here. Luke 24, 46, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. To John, the last surviving apostle, decades later, Jesus says, Revelation 1, 17, verse 18, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I rule. 
I have overcome. Death is dead. He has vanquished death. Listen, as glorious as the death of Christ on the cross might be, it is essential to the gospel. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with him on the cross. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming and Jesus rose from the dead, never more to die. And so something extraordinary happens. And we still sing it today. Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave, he arose with the mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And you know that hymn, we sing it every Easter. Christ arose. Secondly, what proves that God was satisfied with what Jesus did? It's that he is now our advocate with the Father. Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 12. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus now is the mediator. He's our advocate. Not like the earthly priests who offered the blood of bulls and goats in an earthly temple. Jesus goes into heaven itself with His own blood to appear before God on our behalf. Jesus goes ahead of us into the place where eternal decisions have been made. Jesus, the righteous one, goes to speak to God on our behalf. Jesus, friends, is the only mediator between man and God. No one else. No one else. Especially not Mary. Jesus, the Son of God, is the only mediator. And this proves that the work is finished. If you have another intercessor that's not Jesus, my dear friends, your gospel says that Jesus dying isn't enough. You need something else. The gospel says Jesus dying is enough. You don't need anything else. So how do we respond to this good news? How do we respond to the fact that death has been taken care of? Believe. Believe. Believe on this gospel. Believe that this message is the only message of your salvation. Paul tells us that we need to repent and believe the good news. Death that has brought misery 
upon the human race for years and years and years has been satisfied in one person. God's own Son. So you, my dear friends, you can experience eternal life in Him and in Him alone. How do you respond? Believe it. I want to go a step further. If you are already a Christian, I want to say, start acting like this is what you believe. We say we believe it. We think we believe it. But we don't live it. We don't live it. You have eternal life. Yeah, but my neighbor's dogs. You have eternal life. Yeah, but my bank account. These things pass away. But eternal life. Man, oh man, oh man. Eternal life gets us to say... In those difficult and annoying circumstances, eternal life gets us to say, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your, your sting? In addition, I want to say, we respond by worshipping God. We worship God because He has given us the salvation that opened our eyes. He has given us the grace by which we have been freely saved. Again, Paul said, we worship and believe this God because God has given. And who should, who should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Worship the Father. Our final response is this. Not only do we get to believe the good news and worship God because of the good news, our final response is that we share this good news. We share this good news. Listen, I know for many of you who are here today, you will have family coming over. A lot of people who are away, you are with family. And I believe many of you have taken the time to watch and listen to this. You want to share the plate. You want to pass the gravy. You want to, you know, pass the drinks. Just enjoy the meal. Share in the meal. But you are not willing to share the bread of life. You don't want to share the message that has given you eternal life. That's not worship. Friends, because we receive this good news, we cannot believe it and keep it to ourselves. In fact, I want to say that if you really believe that this is the good news, it's impossible to keep it to yourself. It's impossible. Paul put it this way, Christ's love compels us. This is the kind of news you want or should want everyone to know. My dear friends, death has died in the death of Jesus Christ. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Let me pray and we'll, we'll sing a final hymn. And the invitation is please join us for some refreshments, hot cross buns, tea and coffee and whatever. Lord Jesus, 
What a moment to rejoice. What a moment to be reminded of this good news. For us who assume we know these things, but don't live it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would constantly convict us in the reminder of this good news. But Lord, I also pray for any dear friend or relative that has come today that has heard this message maybe countless times but has been, never been moved by the grace of your spirit lord this day our prayer is that you have had an appointment and i pray lord jesus that the universal church would grow a brother or a sister richer because of your gospel news our savior we pray this in your name Amen.